such a pleasure to be back with you for this third lesson in this series. This has been a very active week for me in that uh, every day I have really arranged an outline, particularly for tonight. I normally don't do that in a meeting. I got prearranged outlines, but I knew that there were questions that were raised here and are continue to be raised, and I'm wanting to try to uh, give a foundation. As I told you in the beginning, I'm not here to solve all your problems. I am here, though, to try to teach the Word of God in such a way where you have the foundation from which to work out problems. And I recognize, I, I, tonight, I'm, I hope I don't have too much material that we're covering tonight. Uh, I normally would deal with this material in a couple of lessons. I'm going to do it in one. And so I hope you'll be patient with me as we uh, cover this question. Um, we're going to raise the question tonight as we work together in a local church. How do we know what the work of the church is? And it's something that we must know if we're going to come together and work together. First off, you know, I run across people today that almost treat local churches as if they're not important or, or not essential. And you do not have a command in Scripture that says, Thou shalt become member of a local church. But what you do see is you see local churches functioning, apostles by example setting them up, and you see things such as partaking of the Lord's Supper and other things that are done in local churches. And we should rightly conclude that we should be in a local church. But let me tell you what a local church is about. A local church is God's arrangement to bring us to heaven. When we become a Christian, we need help. There's a lot of growing to do. We're like a family. We've got to find ways to equip and grow and heal. Romans 8 is uh, talking about God's eternal plan going from how one becomes a Christian going into eventually being glorified with God. God's got a plan. Romans 8, 29, it says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. By the way, that's our goal in this life, become more like Jesus. It says that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Now notice verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is showing the process from new birth to heaven. And local churches are a major element of that. We once were enemies of God and now we're adopted children. But my brethren, we are works in progress. And we need help. If you think you're going to become a Christian and isolate yourself and go and just do your own thing, you're very, you're very mistaken. There are great dangers out there. We need other Christians. And again, in Ephesians 4 as an example, here the Bible talks about the need of stability. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, now notice verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head at Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We need others. 
in a local church. We could look at 1 Corinthians 12. We could look at other verses. With the weakest member to the strongest member, we're all essential. And we've got to help one another go to heaven. We've got to help one another in the struggles that we face in this life. Local churches are so, so important. Local churches are part of the plan that God uses to accomplish His work. And remember we studied last night. Remember we started off. We've got to start with a foundation. If you don't have the foundation, you don't know how to discern Scripture. You don't know really what God wants of you. We talk about the the work of the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20, speaking of the church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. So last night we talked about a position Unfortunately, that is not common today. It used to be amongst churches of Christ that there was a stand that, would, that you'd see commonly oftentimes in churches that would take the stand of being Christians only. And this position is this. We will give authority for what we teach. We will give authority for what we practice. And if we cannot show that our teaching and practice is founded in the work of the apostles and prophets, we would give it up. And I think that's a great stand. It's it's a very restrictive stand. You will find yourself strictly staying in the Word. But guess what? We're in God's will when we do that. And that's the challenge, though. Discernment, study. And again, I appreciate so many visitors here tonight. As as I've mentioned, this is is study. I, I may be putting about three lessons into one tonight. So if I go too fast, if we end up needing additional questions, please ask. But I'm going to try in one lesson address the question of how do we know what a local church should do in its work. This is a challenging study. As we start talking about local churches, I want to say plainly, God addresses what local churches should do and be. There's several of my brethren today that say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what we do in a local church. There's some of my brethren today even say local churches are optional. Maybe they shouldn't even exist. And to me, I'm wondering, are we looking at Scripture? The very first chapter when the church began, the day of Pentecost... 3,000 were baptized in verse 41. And notice the first thing they do. Now the church begins. Now there are brethren together. What were they going to do together? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. God had instruction for how the local church would function. You see that? that foundation of the apostles and prophets. And again, last night we studied, how do we look at the New Testament? Remember we talked about over and over where Paul talked about follow what has been delivered, follow what has been taught. The apostles delivered a perfect message. And so the, the early church, if they had any question about a controversy, a question about what they ought to do, they always asked this question first. What was delivered? In verse 2, Paul says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And so that's our goal. Now, I'm going to be maybe a little humorous here. I could very simply tell you in two sentences what my lesson is about, and maybe we can go home. (laughs) But basically, if we say, What's the work of the local church? I would just say this. The work of the local church is found when you take all the verses that describe what local churches do and you stay within what those verses teach. Sound simple? 
can we go home? <laughs> well, I want to tell you, it is simple what I just told you. But there are a lot of questions that people need to ask. There, there are words that need to be defined. And what I may appear getting into some things that may appear to you to be very complex. But what I'm really telling you is how I would take this approach, taking all the verses God gives in the Scripture about local churches and staying within it. That's what I'm trying to do. And now let's get into some questions that may be raised. I want to give book, chapter, and verse for my practice. And I believe that if local churches will be committed to that, if I can't show you from the Scripture my practice, my teaching, I'm going to give it up. Colossians 3.17, again, reviewing last night's lesson. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's build on that foundation. So now, let me tell you one of the problems we face. Any subject. Um, have you ever studied with some of our friends on baptism? There's a lot of views on baptism, isn't there? Is baptism a simple or a complex subject? Well, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> There's some people that maybe they don't... Again, I'm not saying people, everybody's insincere, but there are some people that don't want to believe something because their church or their creed teaches something different and suddenly the Bible becomes very complex to them. But there are people that will draw conclusions about baptism, guess what? Without even reading a verse that teaches about baptism. There's some people who say, well, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they would say, see, baptism is not essential. And I'm going, wait just a minute. <laughs> that verse doesn't address baptism. Let's harmonize the Bible. You could go to John 3, 3-5 and see that people would be born of water and the Spirit. You could go to other verses and begin to see that baptism does have a connection to salvation. But you see, that's the problem that sometimes we have in studying the local church. If we could clearly identify passages that address the local church and stay within that, I believe we'll be on solid ground. And that's our goal. Now, okay, first point. Again, hang on with me tonight. We may cover a lot of things that you may say are unnecessarily detailed, but I found it's always good to define terms. So let me ask this question of you. Again, we're, we're in, a, in a sermon, not a class. I wish we were in a class. <laughs> I'd love to have some feedback right now. But let, let me ask this question. When you hear the word church, what do you think of? Do you know that in the New Testament that word could, it has at least three different meanings? It could have as many as five different meanings. And did you know that, and this is very true of Bible words, a word can have different meanings in the context. So let me, let me test you on this. The word church. You are familiar with this verse, aren't you? Matthew 16, 18. Here Jesus is talking about the truth about a church He is going to establish. And he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let me ask you a question. How many churches did Jesus build? Built one, didn't he? One church. What does the word church mean here? I want to suggest to you, and again, we'll, we'll look at some other verses, I believe the word church here means that Jesus is our head and that we are under Him within the body. That it denotes a relationship. 
Everybody who's a Christian anywhere on this world, they are in the church and there's one church. Here this word church denotes a relationship. Some people would use the word universal church. So that's fine. That term's not in the Bible, but there's a concept there. Again, Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body. And we can look at Ephesians 1, 22, 23. That one body is the church. Again, there's one church. That's one way the word is used in the Scriptures. But now let me show you another verse. Are you ready? Remember, there's one church. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, To the church of God which is at Corinth. Do we have to go to Corinth in order to assemble? Here's here is a singular church. They were meeting at Corinth. Since there's one church, do we have to go to Corinth? Let me show you this verse. Does the Bible contradict itself? Romans 16, 16. The churches of Christ greet you. Wait, wait, wait. I thought there was one church. And you're now telling me there are churches? In Galatians 1, 2, it talks about the churches of Galatia. The Bible does not contradict itself. Bible words, just like English words, can have different meanings in different contexts. When you read of the word church in these verses, you know what we're talking about? Local churches. Is there only one local church in Columbus? Well, no. There's all kinds of churches, you know. And so again, the context would show us we're speaking about local churches. So one of the challenges we have, brethren, and it's challenging, can we find verses where local churches are addressed? And I'm telling you, as Bible students, these are some things we've got to ask. Did you know there's another meaning of the word church? Very common in Scripture. How about this one? And again, we're not telling you all the meanings of this verse, but we're noting it. Look at this verse. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. The law also says, I think verse 35 says, that it's shameful for women to speak in church. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's take the first definition. Could it be the universal body? You know what that would mean? That the moment that a woman would be baptized into Christ, she's in the church. Whether she's here or somewhere else, so she couldn't speak anymore the rest of her life. Well, well no, it doesn't mean that. That's not, what, that's not what this is talking about. How about a local church? The moment that a woman becomes part of a local church, does it mean that she can't speak anymore the rest of her life? Well, no. Now, sometimes as a man, I joke about that. Hmm, we want to consider that possibility. No, no, but just joking. Uh, that, that's not what these verses mean. Do you know what the, verse, the word church means in this context? An assembly. Matter of fact, the root definition of the Greek word ekklesia, if you don't have to know Greek, know this, is assembly. Did you know that this word doesn't all, that can refer to a group of unbelievers? Let me show you this verse. Well, I didn't include it. I meant to include it in the outline, and I did not include it. And I'm trying to remember the verse now. Uh, 
anyway, there there was a, a gathering. Uh, I believe it's in Acts. Uh, it's in Book of Acts where 1932. Acts 19:32. Thank you. Let's look at that. This is why I have my Bible program here. If I leave something out, guess what we can do? We can go look at it just like this. You got your Bible? Turn to it. Look at Acts 19:32. Here we go. Notice this. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. For notice, the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Do you know that word assembly there in the Greek is the word for church, ecclesia? It was an assembly. And so again, I hope I'm not scaring you here as you study your Bible, but I think you know this, that we have to define words as we're looking at context so we can best understand what it means. So, again, I'm just throwing that out. We're talking about local churches, okay? We're trying to find verses that address local churches. So now, let's move on to the next point. When does a local church begin? Have you ever thought about that? You know what I was able to do in two places in the country in my life? I helped start a local church in two places, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Charlottesville, Virginia. And it's interesting, if you were to come together to begin a local church, how do you do that? What must you do and agree upon to begin a local church? Well, let's talk about that. The first thing I think we would see in Scripture, and there's many verses we could look at, but one of them you would have to agree to come together to work and worship together. Again, we could talk about this context. Remember when Saul became a Christian? You know what Saul had been doing? <clears throat> he had been killing Christians, imprisoning Christians. And you know where he had been doing it? Most of the place he was in Jerusalem. <clears throat> he now becomes a Christian, and guess what? He wants to join the disciples. Now imagine you being in Jerusalem. He's tricking us. He's just wanting to get in here and try to find out who we are. I don't believe he's a disciple. And you know what? I don't blame them. Acts 9.26 And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then verse 28 says they were coming in and going out together. In order to have a local church, there has to be some agreement that, okay, we're going to be part of this body. Let me give you another verse, a common oversight. It also deals with the idea of identifying members. In 1 Peter 5, it talks about in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Which flock of God? Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Do you know what you have in a local church? If you have qualified men, you appoint elders. And who do the elders in this verse oversee? Who do shepherds oversee? They oversee sheep. And guess what? They know who the sheep are. And so you've got a common oversight. You have an identifiable membership. And again, this is not everything we could list here, but if you have a local church, another thing you will have is you'll have assemblies, and one of the things you do in the assembly is you have a collection. 
In verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16, it says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. When we see examples, and by the way, this is an example of how a church gathered money for a particular need. But you see throughout scriptures that churches had money. They had a work. And so they would have a collection. That is minimally what you would need to have before you have a local church. So let me ask, Larry, why are you going into all this detail? We know this. Let me tell you why I'm going into all the detail. I'll never forget a few years ago I was studying with some college students. And they really wanted the church to be involved in recreation and, and even uh, various social things that I did not think were the work of the church. And one of the things he said, Larry, well tonight let's suppose the Super Bowl was coming on and we decided let's go get some pizza and you gave me five and another person gave me five and another person gave me five and I went out and bought pizza we are now a local church and we're going to buy pizza. The church is buying pizza and I'm going, no, we're not. This is not a local church. Just because of a random coming together of Christians and a rather random gathering together of money doesn't make you a local church. Let me tell you, when I went to Virginia to Charlottesville, we went to begin a local church. And when we went with our family and there were other people there together, we had an assembly on the first day of the week, our first Sunday there, and, and we were committed to coming together as a local church. And we then had a contribution on the first day of every week. We had the Lord's Supper. We came together for that purpose. So again, I can say, maybe this is too much detail, but when you get into controversy, I find define terms and make sure we know what we're talking about. So now the second area. This is a big area. How do we know when a local church is addressed in Scripture? And here is a legitimate, fair controversy that exists amongst brethren. And they, they, they begin to say, well, yeah, there are verses that address local churches in the New Testament. And there are verses that address individual Christians. Why don't we just take any of those verses and apply them to the work of a local church. Let me give you three positions that people take. One position that people take is they take this position, whatever the individual Christian may do, the church may do. And, and sometimes I've heard it expressed like this. The local church is made up of individual members. So when a Christian does a good deed, it is really the church that does it. There are many of my good brethren that would hold that view, and I can understand some of the confusion because they say, well, Larry, the local church is made up of individuals, and so what an individual is going to do, that, that still would be the local church doing it. Well, let's talk about this. And when I talk about the local church, I'm really talking about what is done through the collection. Is what's to be done through the collection the same thing that an individual Christian is to do? Let's talk about it. This is a good controversy, a reasonable one, one we will take some time to think about. And so they would, they would apply verses with indi dealing with individuals to the church. Now here's another view. This is the view I hold. And you may or may not agree with it, but I'd love to study it. Because we've got to deal with these questions if we're going to know what local churches do. And I take the position that there is a distinction between the work of a Christian and a local church. I believe that the Lord has verses that show that distinction. And I believe there are some consequences that would follow if we don't understand that. So I'm only going to find verses that have the local, verse, local church in the context 
whether it be a, a plural pronoun that I could reason as a local church or local church directly being referred to, and I realize there's some discernment on this, but I want to find the church being, a, being addressed in the context before I assume that it applies to local church. If I have strictly a passage addressing an individual Christian, I don't apply that to local church. Again, you may say, Larry, I disagree with you on that. I understand that. We talk about it. I'm going to give you some things to think about here. Third view, I'm not even going to talk about tonight. But I want you to know there's third view. There's a third view that some Christians say local churches shouldn't exist. And I, I think that's a strange view. Uh, and I, again, I won't go into that, but that, some, there are some that hold that view. So now, let me show you why I would conclude that we need to distinguish between the work and responsibilities of an individual Christian and the work and the responsibilities of a local church. I'll give you a few verses. Matthew 18, and there's more. Let's suppose we had a situation, and I hope we don't, but let's say somebody sinned against you, and I'm talking about sin, and you got the evidence they sinned against you. And what would you want to do if somebody's committed sin, whether it's against you or somebody else, what would you want them to do? You'd want them to repent, wouldn't you? You want to be forgiven by God. You want them to be right with God. And so what should you do? Notice this, Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You, by yourself, don't go to everybody else. As a matter of fact, you don't go to anybody else but that one that sinned against you. Look at verse 16. They say he doesn't repent. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now what you've done now, you've not just yourself gone, you've got two or three going with you. Let me ask you so far, has the church acted in these verses yet? If you're familiar with the verse, you know where I'm going. Look at verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now in this instance, the responsibility and the actions of the individual is different from that of the church. And so again, I look at this and I'm going, well, they're not the same. There is a difference. Well, Larry said, can you give me some more verses? We can't. Here's another one, very similar. 1 Timothy 5.16 Here, let's suppose that you're a Christian and you have a relative that's in need and you are neglecting them. You know what that makes of your influence? It makes of your faith. The Bible says, If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. If I have a, a loved one that is in need, that responsibility falls upon me first. And there's some people, let's let the church do it. No, no, my friend. There's a difference in responsibility. The prime responsibility falls on you. And then there, there's a place where the church may come in. If you deny the faith and worship of an infidel and you deny taking care of your, your loved one, it, may, it could potentially become the need of the church if, if it's one that whom the church is, is uh, to be responsible for. But let me go a little further. Do you know what? I, I, you may find this interesting. This is a big controversy, but guess what? I have never in my life so far 
to any Christian that would sit down and talk to me. I have never found a Christian that eventually didn't agree with me on this subject. I've never found a Christian yet that didn't distinguish between the work of an individual Christian and the work of a local church. Let me give you a for instance. Again, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I'm just, just, just hypothetically throwing questions out at you. How many of you believe that the church ought to go into business? That we ought to have business and hire people and try to make profit. And, you know, by the way, there's many cults that do that. And there's many churches that do that. But do you believe that the church should go into business? <coughs> no. Can an individual go into business? Of course. Ephesians 4.28. I'll give you book, chapter, and verse for the individual. Let him whose soul steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Now, I could go work for somebody, or I could start a hardware store, or I could start, start a, you know, a restaurant. My dad, for a while, uh, actually got into a hardware store business right when Jimmy Carter came into office. That was not a good business decision, but I won't talk about that. But that was a time where, you know, uh, but, but, but church is not to be involved in business. And guess what? The individual can. Guess what? You believe there's a difference. And so I've had most of my brethren, when we go through these, that they understand that. A Christian may involve himself in recreation. I may want to go to Six Flags. Of course, I might want to go run a marathon with some friends. Or I might want to, you know, there are a lot of things I may want to do in recreation. You know, I have authority to do that as a Christian. And the father in raising my children. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. One of the things about being a father. Recreation is part of raising a child, isn't it? But you see, what I might do in my home and have a right to do in my home. doesn't mean the church is to do it. And so those are some of the points that I'm making here tonight, is that if we can agree to this, if we're trying to figure out what should a local church do, we need to have authority, and we need to look at verses that address the local church. So that's all I'm established so far. If we can agree on those two points, I want to tell you another point, brother. I've never run across somebody who's taken time to study with me where we could not find a way for a local for a group, a local group of people to agree on how we can work together. I'm not saying we're going to agree on everything. <laughs> I think, I, look, I'm very honest as we talk about this. There's a lot of ideas that people have. But I'm asking of you, let's stay with Scripture. If there's a practice we really believe the church ought to be involved in, let's get book, chapter, and verse, book, chapter, and verse where a church is addressed, and let's stay within that. And so, and I guess we could talk about politics too. We won't talk about politics, but you know, I could be involved in politics, but I don't think the church, as a local church, should be involved with that. So now, last section. You're patient. I hope I'm not getting too detailed on you here. I'm warning you. We're working through a process here of trying to answer questions, building a foundation. So now, how would we go about determining what a local church should do? Well, one of the things, again, we've already talked about the context of a passage. We talk about authority. If I'm going to find the work of the church, it's got to be authorized. If I'm going to deal with the work of the church, this is huge here. This is a huge point. I'm really going to be talking about primarily what is done with the treasure. Because the work of the church, what brings us in a collective work together? We have a contribution. That contribution can be called a, a, a fellowship. It is called such, and I think Philippians 4, 15, 16, we'll be looking at it later. 
what we do from the contribution involves all of you. And you know what we need to do? Whatever we do that involves all of you, we need to have unity. 1 Corinthians 16.2 On the first day of each week, let, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. There be no collections when I come. And by the way, again, it involves the treasury and the things the treasury purchases. You know, in first century time, they probably didn't have any church buildings that I know of. They might have rented the school of Tyrannus. There might have been a case in the book of Acts. But today, and I'm not saying it's wrong, we tend to buy church buildings, don't we? Well, I want to tell you what I would do with the treasury in buying a church building. I would want that church building to be used for the purposes that the treasury could be used for. And I realize, oh, Larry, you may be inconsistent that I may be, but that's a principle I think is right. And another thing is that when I talk about the work of the church, I want to involve that which is wholly or completely its work. And I'll be developing this as we go along. Some people say, well, if we get 80% that's the work of the church and 20% that's not, it's okay. No, I believe we should only do in what we do from the treasury, from the resources, those things that are wholly the work of the church. So now, three points in the lesson go to be yours. Three points. Three things I believe the local church is going to be able to do. First thing, I believe local churches are to teach the lost. My brethren... Churches have gotten away from that. I'm getting off my topic a little bit, but I am amazed. We've had some brethren just recently went to Africa, did some preaching, and you know what? People came to them, you're teaching the Bible. People come over from America now, and they're doing almost anything but teaching the Bible. I'm hoping that's an exception. But I think I'm seeing it in America too, don't you? How many churches are really challenging people and talk about reaching the lost, bringing the lost to people, showing that they need to know the Lord. Teach, 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 teach. There's no substitute for the Word of God. Local churches supported men that taught. Paul talked about, and you notice in the context, churches are mentioned. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once again for my necessities. You know what a primary goal of our contribution ought to be? If we don't have needy saints among us, and in our culture, we're in a better position than they were then, but a major element of our contribution should go to preaching the gospel. That's how Paul spread the gospel to the then-known world. Did you know... A group of Christians in one generation spread the gospel to the then known world? Colossians 1.23 affirms that. What could we do if we got on fire about spreading the gospel to the world? Local churches need to be aggressively involved in that. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 11.8. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. Now I recognize, brethren, We need to make judgment on who we support. I'm not trying to be critical of preachers. You know, preachers are some of my best friends. (laughs) Of course, I've been a preacher all my life, so I'm a little joking here. But you know, you might support some preacher that's really not all about preaching the Word. And you need to make some judgments. We need to have people that are wanting to reach the lost. 
But let me talk to you about reaching the lost. Let me just give you some examples. Remember we talked last night about when the Lord tells us to do something, everything necessary to doing that is included. I mentioned the word general authority, whether or not you like that term or not, but that's the idea. If we're to be involved in preaching the gospel, we can pay a preacher, we can buy tracts, we can have a radio program, we can conduct a gospel meeting, we can build a website, we can have a video camera and put it on our Facebook page. There are a lot of things we can do. I mean, what are we doing? We're preaching. But now some of my brethren, and they're sincere, and some of you may have these views, and I am not trying to be be ugly in this, but we may have a disagreement. But I want to tell you, sometimes in what we say we're preaching the gospel, we're doing something else. Let me share with you when I was in college at the, in Tuscaloosa quite a few years ago. The church that I was a part of had what they called a Christian student center. It had a TV room, a kitchen, a ping pong table, a stereo room, and... I'll have to tell you, I almost lived there. They gave me a key to it. I, I played rook all night there. I did a lot of things, you know. I had, had a lot, I enjoyed that. But later as I started studying the Bible, I would ask them, should we be taking money from the treasury and buying a ping pong table? You know what some one brother told me? We're doing that to reach the lost. And again, I wasn't trying to be ugly, but how does a ping pong table reach the lost? Now, I can understand if we studied the Bible on the ping-pong table that the ping-pong table could be used, but is that why we buy a ping-pong table? If ping-pong tables reach the lost, why don't we really get good at ping-pong and have non-Christians play ping-pong, and after a few games they become Christians? <laughs> That's not how it works. People become Christians by studying the Word of God. And my brethren, and they're good brethren, I'm not, I'm not putting them down. I think they were mistaken. They're saying that let's do things to draw them in. Let's do things to make them be around Christians and then we can teach the gospel. I want to suggest to you, I don't think that's what a church ought to do. You know, there are other things that we could... False doctrine could be put in there. There are some churches getting into political campaigns. Turn with me. This is a big point tonight. Again... Be patient with me. We talk about this. But let, let me show you. I believe Jesus talked about these things. I can remember when I was at this church that we tried to attract people with various things. We had a bus ministry, which there's nothing wrong with taking young people to church, but they oftentimes would say, we're going to have pizza, we're going to have food. There's one church that would put a $5 bill on the bottom of one of the seats, and if you got on the lucky seat, you got the $5 bill. Now, I don't think we did that. But the question I ask of you, can we give carnal incentives to bring people to hear the gospel? Is that wise? Is that what we should do? Now, notice what Jesus said. How do people convert it? John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Let me tell you, we need to be teaching. But somebody said, hey, Jesus fed people. He fed people. And and He did that to get a crowd. Now, you misunderstand why Jesus fed people. 
Now, of course, there were people who were, who were in desperate need of food, and he did provide food, and that's not necessarily a local church working, but did Jesus, in this case, feed people in order to get people to come back because they ate food? Look earlier in this chapter. Look with me. John 6:26. there were people, could, we, we would have been like to have eaten the food that Jesus <coughs> provided by miracle. It probably tasted pretty good. <laughs> And there were some people that ate that food and they came next day, man, I want some more of this. Now notice what Jesus said to them. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus worked this miracle to show a sign that He's the Son of God. And they wanted more food. And they thought they were going to get more food. And why did Jesus say, That's the wrong reason to come. Verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perisheth, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on Him. Now you know what some of my brethren would say today? Look, they're coming for more loaves and fishes. Let's cook some more. Man, we'll really get a crowd. <coughs> brethren, I'm not saying everybody that provides food is trying to draw people. Okay, I understand there's other motives, but I'm just telling you there's a great danger that we get into this trap of where we've got to draw people in by offering them stuff. You know what happens? Let's be honest. In Birmingham, what happens? You give them loaves and fishes, somebody else might give them shrimp and, uh, you know, and, and uh, 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 grape juice, and, and then somebody else gives them prime rib. <laughs> you know what happens when you start doing the recreational thing? You know what happens? You've seen what's happened. One church maybe has, does one little thing, and the other ups the ante, and then what happens? You get mega church with the multi-million dollar recreational facilities, the multi-million dollar social facilities. And I want to tell you, in mega church, the Word of God is not taught as a rule. And in making small churches like this irrelevant, we can't compete with them. I'm sorry, I'm getting off the 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 beat the hair a little bit, but I want to tell you, we 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 need to be wise in the path we're going down when we begin to try to draw people in by offering them stuff. Now let me give another another thing about evangelism. Boy, I'm going to go over. I'm sorry. Kind of. Uh, we need. We don't need to use another organization in the local church. That's another study. We'll talk about it later. And let me give you another one. Somebody might say, "Well, Larry, you're trying to oppose this good work. We're bringing people in by offering loaves and fishes. We're baptizing people because of that. How can you oppose, oppose a good work?" No, I just want to do right. Let me give you an illustration. Because I'm teaching the gospel, does it justify anything that I might do? Would it be good if I went across town, let's say, tonight and taught someone and they became a Christian? Is that a good work? Would you agree to that? What if I decided I'm going to steal your car to go do it? <laughs> you may say, well, no, 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 that's right. Well, I'm preaching the gospel. You know, what's happening in this case is I am um, I'm take, I'm violating another passage of Scripture. I don't need to lie. I don't need to steal. I don't need to play some kind of, of game when it comes to teaching the Word of God. Second Corinthians 4.2 But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, 
I'm going to uh, talk about two more points, but more briefly. What I made in that first point is the same reasoning process we would use in the others. Another area of um, the work of the church is what the Bible describes as edification. Edification literally means to build up. And what we're doing here, hopefully, as Christians, I hope you're being built up tonight. I'm hoping you're looking at the Word of God. I'm hoping you're learning some things you don't know. I'm hoping you're encouraged by being here. We're encouraging one another. We need that. But let me tell you how we build one another up, my brethren, just like how we evangelize. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Stay in the Word. Regardless of what it teaches us. We don't like what it teaches. We need to hear it. We need the Word. And again, we may go to extreme. We may say, Larry, you could be doing these things. And I'm saying, you know what? I may, I'm not sure about that. I know exactly what I should be doing. I'm going to be teaching. A church is a teaching organization. I didn't even look at Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. But you know what you find when you see how the Lord equipped the church? Equipped the local church? Look at this in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. How did the Lord equip the church? Ephesians 4. I had to get my glasses on here. I think I can make it. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He says, And He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, my brethren. Every one of these positions are teaching positions. He didn't hire cooks. He didn't put in, uh, uh, you know, uh, football coaches. You know, you can be a football coach and be a Christian, but I'm talking about this is not the work of the church. This is what a church is to be. A teaching organization, teaching the will of God and trying to teach the entire will of God. As we read earlier, a passage we read earlier, we're trying to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up into Christ. Final point tonight. And we actually may make it on long with the time here tonight, may make it. But the other question, again, I'm not going to answer everything about benevolence tonight. I'm giving you a foundation. So many other questions to ask. But I believe local churches had a prime responsibility to its needy members. And I don't know, got a wrong verse there. Let's see. Looks like uh, I've got, didn't, wait, excuse me for a moment. Uh, let me go backwards here. I think I. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Edification. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, we, we've covered that. I'm sorry. Yeah, y'all be patient with me. My technology has worked real well this week. Uh, but if we're going to edify Christians, we can do printed material, PowerPoint, church building. All these things involve teaching. And I'm going to go ahead and move. move. There's some specific authority. There's some specific things that God wants. We must have an assembly on the first day of the week. We're to have Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. We're to have a contribution on the first day of the week. You can look at those verses. For time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and move along. There are some specific things we're told to do. But again, within edification, it doesn't involve recreational, political campaigns, and other things that we've talked about earlier. One last point, and then we'll get to our last, last scripture. That we need to trust the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. It says, so, it, so shall it be that my word goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. 
Now, here we go. Last point. And I'm going to go ahead and move along here. The last point tonight is benevolence. Relieving needy members. I'm not reading all the verses. I'm just going to read one or two. And I'm going to say that we do the same thing with this. Acts 2, 44 and 45. Here we read in the early church, I believe there were Christians likely that stayed over, becoming converted from other countries. They didn't go home. They stayed there. That may have been the cause of the need. But listen what Christians did when there were other needy Christians. When I speak of need, I'm talking about food and raiment. From the treasury, we should help our needy brethren. The Bible says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Acts 4.32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now, you know, right now in our country we're living at an interesting time, don't we? We don't quite have the situation that the first century had. There is a lot of provision that is made for people uh, through the government and other things. But you know what we do at a university church? We've got some brethren working in Africa. And I'll tell you, there are some churches, and I remember Rob Buchanan talking about me, that there was one person that he knew from an earlier time that he preached to. Guess what? He came back. What happened to sister so-and-so? She died. She died of starvation. You, you may mean to say, you don't hear about that much anymore, but you go to Zimbabwe, you go to some of these other places, and, and we, 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 have a time, we have sent money from, to another church. It's a, it's a good sum of money. And, and oftentimes we do that, knowing that here there's going to be help for, for needy brethren. I know there's a ton of questions we can ask about this tonight, brethren, and all I'm giving you tonight is a foundation. Let's look at the Scriptures. Let's take all the scriptures on the subject. If I've left out some scriptures, let's talk about it. I know there's an interpretation of verses. But could we tonight commit to this purpose? Let's say within the work that God gave the local church. We're getting into trouble, my brethren, when we start getting it into things that it's not as business. We can end up taking away from God's work. And you know what? Oftentimes when churches get into things that's not its business, oftentimes it's things that are done to entertain and satisfy their own members. And I believe in ways that's not good. Again, I, I want to be careful with my judgments. One more point. Um, some people say, well, Larry, Benevolence, evangelism, edification. Some of my brethren say that if you don't do it out of the treasury, the work won't be done. Do you know where the majority of the work of the Lord is accomplished? It's done by individuals. Amen. Only a small portion of the work of the Lord is done to the contribution. And you may say, well, Larry, you know, I really feel this person ought to be helped from the treasury. And maybe as we begin to reason, say, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that that person is really qualified to be helped from the treasury looking at other verses, but let's help them individually. I want to tell you when it comes to benevolence and any other work, if there's a good work that an individual Christian is to do or the church ought to do, we can make sure that work gets done. Not everything has to go to the treasury. And we get messed up sometimes because of the, we were more restrictive about using the treasury and somehow we think people are going to go starving or other things are going to happen. No, 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 no. 
There's a major responsibility placed upon individual Christians. There's a more limited responsibility placed upon local churches. I believe as you study the Scriptures, you'll see that. You know what a local church could do? Local church, if it needed to, it could make facilities to take care of needy. We could build a house. We could build a kitchen. We could build facilities. We had ongoing benevolent need to feed people and to house people. Now, we don't have that need today, but in the church of Jerusalem, there was occasion in Acts 6 and verse 2. It says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may appoint of this business. I want to tell you, the serving of tables here is not the common practice of the modern-day fellowship hall. What was being done here wasn't that rich, fat members that have it easy go and be fed. We're talking about helping needy people. Let me say one more thing. Again, going over time a little bit. But, you know, that word fellowship hall... Look at that word fellowship sometime in Scripture. Do you know when you read about individual Christians in churches, you know what fellowship always means? I think there may be one exception. It deals with spiritual things. The support of preaching, the partaking of the Lord's Supper is a fellowship, a communion. We're sharing in the Lord's Supper. Did you know this church has a fellowship hall? Did you know that? I mean, you might not know that. Do you know we got a fellowship hall? Uh Uh-oh, I see some looks at me like, what are you talking about, Larry? We're meeting in it right now. And guess what we're having? We're having fellowship. We're having fellowship in the Word of God. You come on first day of the week, we'll have fellowship in the Lord's Supper. That's called a communion or fellowship. And all I'm saying is that as we look at this, let's have fellowship, but let's do it within what the Lord has instructed. Brethren, I don't have the answer to every question. I will tell you, I, I know a lot of people disagree with me. I know brethren have gone different directions. But as we come together as a local church, could we be committed to giving authority for our practices, to finding verses that talk about local churches and what they do, and when it comes to what we do out of the treasury, let's do that which clearly we all can accept. Okay. Got a little over time now. For our visitors, you may not know this, but we're having questions afterwards as well. So if y'all can hang in there with us, uh, that's one of the practices we've done this week. And so I have one question here, and there could be other questions. And so let's let's go for that, and we'll see how how we go with that. All right. The question I did not answer last night is how. Can we determine if we have the authority to take money from the church treasury to send it to help needy brethren at another congregation? This is easy. Let's look at a couple of verses. Acts chapter... Oh, come on, memory, I believe. Uh, Acts... Let's see, Agabus. Let me look up Agabus here. Acts, Acts, help me. God, I am my, 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 Acts 11. Acts 11. Acts 11. Here we are. Good. 28. Can one church send money to another church? They can under certain circumstances. 
Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Here we have uh, one part of the country. Uh, here somebody said there's going to come a famine. The brethren made a collection. And now again, it doesn't say the church per se in verse 29, but I believe by looking at other passages, I believe this was likely done through a contribution. And they sent it to the elders. And so one church may send money to another church, in this case, to take care of needy brethren. Could you imagine? Let's suppose today we had no Social Security. Matter of fact, we didn't have quite the income that we got now. And everybody was poor. And let's say a famine came up on here. How are we going to get food? And let's say people heard about North Columbus Church. There's a terrible famine and we're going to take our contribution. By the way, we would take all of our contribution in that case and be using it for that cause. And let's say the need was greater than what we could take in. That would be appropriate for another church to send money to that church, to the hands of the elders to take care of benevolence. Let me give you another verse. As a matter of fact, we read one tonight. Uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, we have two, that was one instance, and then the rest of the passages in the New Testament describing another contribution. But notice in this verse, uh, we talk about the collection, but notice verse 3. It says, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. You see, what they were doing is they were taking up a collection for needy saints. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9 describes this in detail. But let me go to 2 Corinthians 8 just for brevity's sake. This is a very interesting study. I wish we had more time to cover every aspect of it. But look at 2 Corinthians 8 beginning in verse 13. When should we send money to another church? We at the university church have done that. We did that with a brother working in South Africa, I think, amongst the Zulus. And we knew of him, we knew the situation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13, it's the same contribution of 1 Corinthians 16. It says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. What's he talking about? Verse 15 tells us. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And so when there is a need for food and raiment, a local church, that is the unique responsibility of this church to the members here. And if we couldn't meet that need, we would be right to ask other churches to help us meet that need. But get this, it's not permanent. What happens when we get back on our feet? <laughs> the money stops coming. And guess what one day we might do? If that church that sent us money, one day they may be in need. And guess what we're to do then? We're to send to them. That's God's arrangement. And local churches are a major element in it. Challenge me on this. I hope I've talked. We are, this is questions, and so I know there are a lot of questions come up. Yes? Would you say the example you looked at, if you talk about general and specific authority, what, what realm would you say those fall into? The general, would it be a specific collection 
each time for that purpose, or would it be like this ongoing? Uh, we, we give every week, but it's not necessarily to send two. We could, we could. There's just so many ways we could do it. We could do it in one collection and separate it out. Uh, we could have a, a special collection if we wish. It done on the first day of the week. Done for the let people know. I, I generally would say just do it in the regular collection, but it might be there's a need so great that we don't have enough to take care of something and say, brother, we still have a need. And so there's a lot of possibilities for that. We, we have the authority to have a collection on the first day of the week. We should have it only on the first day of the week. And, uh, and we've got something that is definitely the work of the church. And then communicate to the congregation, then have, have contribution. Amen. So, uh, good question. Okay. I know there's, we could spend hours on this. I feel so frustrated. We've got a little bit of time, but laying some foundations. Any other questions? Yes, sir. May one church help another church with evangelism? Yes. And that's a great question. I can remember uh, <clears throat> back in the debates in the 50s and 60s, you know, there, there was a big debate on the sponsoring church arrangement was, you might not be familiar with the historical basis of this, but back in the 40s and 50s, Brethren came up with an arrangement they called the Sponsoring Church Arrangement. And what they said is that, well, a local church can assume a work greater than its ability, and because its work is greater than its ability, other churches can send to it. And let me tell you one thing about evangelism, and again, there's a lot to talk about here. How much, what's our responsibility in evangelism as a local church? How big is it? What you can do. I'm talking about potentially. How big is it? Let's suppose we raise $10,000. Is that, that, that enough to take care of our responsibility in evangelism? What if we raised a million? What if we raised a billion? Let me tell you what point I'm making here. When it comes to benevolence, our work is defined by our members. When it comes to evangelism, it's unlimited. It's the whole world. What gives a church the right to assume a work greater than its ability when we have the same responsibility? Let me give you, for instance, this is real, real where a lot of this is coming from. And, and we could talk about evangelism edification. Sometimes people say, well, could we send money and edification to help a church build a building? You know, I know that's something that also people talk about. Let's stay with evangelism for a moment. What would you do if I did this? I want to be a great example of Christian giving. That's a good work, isn't it? And what if I told you I am going to give $2,000 a week in the contribution? Is that a good work? Now, let's suppose I did this. Show them. I want your contribution. What's the percentage of it? Give me 10% of your contribution. Brother Murray, give me 10% of yours. And How many would you buy into that? What would you tell me? Larry, you give as you prosper. You know, you don't have the right to assume to give beyond your ability. And see, in evangelism, and where the controversy comes, back in the 50s, there were these mega churches. In Texas, there was the Fifth and Highland in Abilene. They assumed the right to preach the gospel to the whole nation. Back then, some other guys we know about this, you know, there used to be only four channels, <laughs> only four networks. And if you got on one of the networks, it'd go everywhere. And so the Fifth and Highland church decided, we're going to have the Herald of Truth, and we're going to assume the right to, to preach to the whole country. Guess what? All the other churches had to send to us. Did you know what was happening? It was very opposite of what you have here. You had... 
big, powerful churches asking for little churches to send their money. And guess what? They're still asking. This was a temporary arrangement. <coughs> if you want to assume a bigger right than your work, you can keep assuming it. It's kind of like a government project. And one, one president said, it's the closest thing to eternal life on this earth. It just keeps on going and going. It, it's a perversion of these verses. I'm giving, I'm giving you historically, I haven't fully answered your question, but I'm telling you where the controversy came from. There was one church in, in, in Texas that assumed the right after World War II to do all of the evangelism in Germany. And so they said, if you want to evangelize in Germany, you send us your money and we'll pick the preacher and we'll oversee the preacher. And what churches should have said, no, that's our work. We want to directly take care of it. Don't have these big mega churches making these assumptions and somehow becoming this great source of power. It's not temporary when they do this. And so I think... How do you help another church in evangelism? Let's just talk about that. You know churches are helping this church in evangelism. Did you know that? You know how they're doing it? There's a brother here in the congregation that is receiving some support to preach here. And you know what? So that's what you read in the Scripture, don't you? How one church helps another church in evangelism is not for the money to be sent to another's treasury, but by supporting preacher. And then normally in these debates, can you send a Bible to another church? You know, If you can send the Bible, you can send the money. Oh, I'm not so sure about that. I can send the Bible to another church. I can send tract to another church. But you see, when you study the more historical problem, it, is, it ends up, there's an old chart. I don't, I've got it somewhere on my computer. It's called the money in orbit chart. When you had these church sponsoring churches making these assumptions, there were these huge churches having these little churches send money to them, and they sent money to one another. And Brother A.C. Grider years ago called it the money in orbit chart. You go send your money to one of these sponsoring churches, you don't know where it's going to end up. I'm not sure that's a New Testament pattern. I do want to evangelize. I want to help churches. If they need help in evangelism, I, you know, try to send a man there. I think that's the way to do it. You go into Scripture. There's still questions you can ask. A great question, Shovel, because yeah, I, I struggled with that back uh, years ago and, and wished I had more question, you know, more time to answer that tonight. Other questions? Yes. While we're on the subject of congregations interacting with each other, yes. What's the limit of us being able to help any congregation? What stops that from happening? Obviously, here our ability is one yeah. thing. If we're dealing with something where you talk about a benevolent need, ability, and certainly in evangelism, it would be ability. Is that your answer? That would, that would make well, sense. I'm just wondering in terms of just assuming that everything else is scriptural. Yes. Is it conceivable that the behavior of another congregation could interfere with our oh, ability to help or support them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the people could go astray. They could maybe keep in the gospel <laughs> being preaching or fighting the truth. There's so many possibilities that they would get into. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we have to. By the way, we, we're, we are supporting an individual. We're sending money to another church for benevolence. Let's make sure we know what our money's going for. That's why we need to get these organizations out of this business. I, I, we, we don't need the sponsoring churches. Let us do our work. And that's really all we're asking. You know, the sponsoring church work that's not necessary. We can do that through individual congregations. And we don't have to have all the machinery. But that's the problem that has historically happened with churches is that they've created machinery and that machinery becomes very great sources of power and they've done great damage. 
And that's why sometimes we talk about institutionalism. Sometimes there are colleges and there have been other organizations that have eventually, I call it the tail that wags the dog, they first need help, but then eventually they start dominating churches. And I'm telling you, history is filled with examples. And I want to tell you, my brethren, I'm not against brethren starting colleges. I'm not against that. But every college that brethren have ever set up given a hundred years or less has gone bad and has become a force for bad regarding the cause of New Testament, New Testament Christianity. And they'll have yeah. great, great questions. Okay, are we other questions? Yes, sir. Yes. May churches be a million dollar church building so long as the building is used for preaching the gospel. Sure. It's not amount of money. I mean, let's let's go to California. How much would a million dollar church building get you? Maybe what we got here, <laughs> you know. As you talk about, it's not a matter of money, but we certainly can use uh, money for a building to preach the gospel. The question, I, I would, you know, uh, when preaching the gospel, you know, you can you, let's say you want to get an audience to gathering to meet in a home. You can meet under a tree. You can buy a place, rent a place, borrow a place. But you got to have a place. To thin. And if you've got a big enough group, if we're talking about evangelism, having a big audience, yes, you, and the money is not, not necessarily the factor. But wisdom is too. I mean, we could, let's, let's face it, let's say here, where we're at right now, we don't need a million dollar place, do we? It'd be kind of like buying a Mack truck to go get your mail. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's judgment there where people, uh, you know, would, would use money in a way that's unwise. But there's a difference between that being unscriptural and that which is unwise. And we got to look at both, though. Good question. More. More questions. Yes, sir. To what extent can non-essential things be utilized by the church? Things that are not necessary. Yes, that's a good question. You know, as we, let's talk about a building. I, when I talk about general authority, I speak of you know that which is necessary to fulfilling something. Somebody may say, "Well, do you have to have carpet? Do you have to have yellow paint? <laughs> do you have to have ceiling fans?" By the way, I almost feel like we need to get those turned on today. I don't know if our, 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 our uh, air conditioning has gone down, but anyway, I'm a little warm too, though you are. And what I look at is that we must have a place, and within that place. I believe there is what we would call, um, you know, there's different kinds of places we might have. And I would put that in the realm of judgment. Um, I would put that in the realm of, uh, obviously, we could put a tin roof up, you know, over some, over some blocks and, and be it. So I, I do recognize that a place is essential. It is authorized. But the kind of place would vary. As long as all we're doing is preaching the gospel, edifying members, you know, doing the work of the church. And so you're right. You know, some people want to have a steeple. I'm kind of thinking, ah, I don't think that's an essential, but that's an area, Shovel, that I know practically speaking as we try to apply these things. Um, I believe there's authority for a place, and uh, there's going to be discussion. There are some things that technically, you know, you don't have to have for the place, but some would consider it comfort, some would consider it aesthetics. And so, yeah, there's a realm there where we do have things like that, that some would call the word incidental, you know, use that word, but uh, uh, we need to think through that. But uh, but we do have, like having carpet, and so, yeah, we, we do have that, and you may say, are you inconsistent? You say that only that which is essential? 
Uh, maybe, uh, but I, I think generally brethren would accept that, even that would really stand. Most brethren that even ask some of these questions, they really do have a narrow view of what a church can and cannot do. And so I, I would use the word uh, expediency. It's authorized, but there's choices within it. Um, again, we might talk more about it. I'm, I'm willing to you know, think through that. It's a great question. I like the question.